Hello and welcome to our podcast, What Makes Them Tip? Innovations that change everything, where we hear from business leaders and entrepreneurs about the moment, insight, or inspiration that made everything possible and ultimately pushed them over the tipping point. I'm Mike Strada, founder and CEO of Arcalea, where we inspire business change by introducing data science, formal analytics, and provide implementation from marketing. Moneyball for growth-oriented businesses, we say success is now a science. Stay with us, and at the end of the show, we'll share how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in the industry. And with that, let's get started. Hello and welcome to What Makes Them Tip, innovations that changed everything. I'm Jeff, and once again, I have the privilege of talking to amazing people who are truly innovating in their particular entrepreneurial space, and this is a chance to hear their stories. And today's guest spent 10 seasons officiating professional hockey before eventually selling the family business and moving to sunny Southwest Florida, where he used his wide variety of business skills in public relations, marketing, government compliance, finance, and more to help start a new family business, which quickly became a leader in the industry. He's the co-owner and CEO of My Shower Door, Bill Dobman. Welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. Thanks hey. for having me, Jack. No, we are so grateful that you're here. Uh, I can't wait to talk about uh, kind of your your story. I'd like to go all the way back. Um, I know that you started in the family business. That's um, right. And uh, tell me a little bit about uh, kind of what that business was and how you guys got started. Long story is I went to school for electrical technology, nothing even close to shower doors. But uh, as I was refereeing uh, not only professional hockey, but kids hockey, high school and college hockey all in the same seasons and traveling most of New England, uh, my oldest son, who was 10 at the time, was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease Mm. and uh, tough thing to go through as a parent. And we had a younger son who was four years behind him. Very, very difficult for my wife to be able to get him the treatments and still take care of the other son if I'm out traveling uh, all around. So I had to retire um, from hockey, and we tried to find a business that we could do out of our house up in New England. And I, by happenstance, I came across a magazine at my attorney's office. I was having my taxes done by my attorney, and there was a new product out there called Closet Made. Uh, closet made is a white wire ventilated shelving. You've probably seen it in many homes and, and condos, but back in 1986, nobody ever heard of it in New England. It looked like refrigerator racking. So uh, I had pulled the ad out of the magazine and brought it home and showed my wife. And I says, I think I got it figured out. We can own a closet made dealership. And uh, she thought I was crazy, but <laughs> it gave me an opportunity to stay home and help take care of Keith. and start our own business. So I kind of got thrown into entrepreneurship right in the fire. But yeah. if you talk about a tipping point in somebody's life, boy, that was it. But uh, uh, Keith was um, 11 years old. Doug was seven years old. And it really did bind our family together. And man, we worked hard. And uh, then my wife and I found out that the insurance that we had didn't cover Keith's cancer treatment. Mm. And that was terrible. We had what we call catastrophic insurance. and I don't know if you ask me, cancer is pretty catastrophic. Sure, sure. <laughs> but it didn't, it wasn't covered in the, in the policy. So fast forward, we had to uh, leverage everything we had. We were renting an apartment. Fortunately, we had two vehicles that were paid off. 
uh, they were just beater vehicles, but we could get around and we could work. And we started this closet business. And uh, actually, we ended up growing it to the number one closet organizing business in Western Massachusetts and Northern Connecticut. Um, we were the first ones to have a closet made dealership in Western Massachusetts. And we grew it and grew it. Um, and then fast forward to the year 2000. Uh, we were the largest closet made dealer and to augment our business after a couple of downturns in the economy, we decided to bring in shower doors. And again, I didn't know the first thing about shower doors either. <laughs> uh, happened to meet somebody that knew somebody out of Connecticut that was starting up a uh, shower door licensing agreement, not a franchise, but close to it. And we signed on with them and he taught me everything I needed to know about the shower door business. And that relationship is still strong with that person uh, to this day. Yeah. So I, I owe an awful lot to, to Tom Whitaker and his mentorship. Now, how, now what was your training before that? I mean, I mean, obviously you worked for a while as, as a referee, but yeah. Prior to that, what what did you had you gone for to school for anything particular or? I did go for electrical technology, and I went into right. the uh, burglar alarm systems. I was the head technician for a company called Sonatrol, and then I got into sales in that same uh, same business. Um, and I found that out even in our own business, there's no better salesman than somebody that's handled the tools, mm-hmm. installed the product, and knows the product inside out. Those people become the best salespeople. And even to this day, my best salesmen in shower doors are ones that we've had out in doing installations. Yeah. They, they know what product works best in what application, what drill bits to use on what type of stone, uh, what type of glass looks good in, you know, the particular area, uh, everything about it. Yeah. But so I, I just learned by getting thrown in the fire. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So you didn't have like business school training or anything. You just said this uh, is a, a need that our family has and I'm going to learn how to do it. Yeah. Tell me tell me a little bit about like some of the, I guess, obstacles that you may have encountered in the in, in doing that at the beginning that and how you overcame those. There were a lot of obstacles, you know, like most small business owners. I didn't know how to read a P&L. I would rely on my accountant or somebody that did my taxes or some kind of a professional, sometimes even a banker. Mm. Uh, So I wasn't really managing the business by looking at the vitals that I should be. I was doing it from a gut instinct. And I think a lot of small business owners do that. Um, As you grow and you get more intellectual and you start really understanding what, what drives the business, how to turn over inventory and not hold too much of it how to get rid of dead inventory, um, knowing what products sell. The other stumbling blocks, I didn't know the first thing about marketing. Mm. Uh, and that was a, a big, big detriment early on. If I knew what I know now back then, this business would have been three times what the size it is now. Uh, marketing was a big thing. Uh, understanding the P&Ls was a big thing. The technical part's not bad. I was very mechanical. Anyhow, I could pick up on that and understand it. My relationships with people, making sales, not a problem. Um, obviously, it worked out being good, being a referee. I was always getting in the middle of fights and having to break up <laughs> violent guys. Yeah. So I knew how to communicate to people and kind of soup things over. That's kind of a natural instinct that I have. Yeah, I was going to ask. Another question I was going to ask is, were there any lessons that you learned as an official that kind of you, that carried over into business? And my first, you know, gut instinct was obviously, you know, 
conflict resolution that that was <laughs> if anybody in the break room goes to fisticuffs you obviously know how to well, take care go. of that um yeah, but were there were there any other uh kind of lessons learned from being an official for so long that that make you a better leader do you think uh actually there are uh, some of them i was a player too and during a player i played for a lot of coaches and they all had their different techniques some are very strong-minded some are very empathetic uh so what I did is I took the mixture of some of the best coaches and some of the worst coaches I had. I knew the worst ones. I was never going to be like that. You don't get mm-hmm. the most out of your players. Some of the best coaches that know how to motivate people and get an understanding of where they're coming from. And I used that in leadership skills for the business. Um, that was a very, very important lesson that I learned there. The second thing that I've learned uh, when you're official, and you'll see this in any sport, whether it's a football game, a hockey game, baseball, if you're an official and you're making a call, you've got to sell it that you are making a determined decision. You're in position to do it. And there's no doubt. Uh, If if you're calling a ball and strike as an umpire, you don't go strike. You you know, you emphasize it. You're positive. Mm -hmm. And that goes a long way. So some of the doubters won't doubt you anymore because they feel that you're 100% confident. So I also learned that into business. You have to be very, very confident in your decision-making. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, at what point then did you guys decide that New England wasn't working and you wanted to move to Florida? Oh, I didn't decide. You know, keep in mind, we had a house, a couple (laughs) of kids, um, good business up there. But my wife and I, we work very, very close together. I mean, we're married 44 years uh, we get along great together. And oftentimes she would go out on estimates with me. Now, if you're in the uh, Northeast or Midwest and you know what snowstorms are immediately after a, a rainstorm, how you get that little layer of ice and then it's covered with snow. Mm. So my wife and I were going to do an estimate one day and her feet went out from under her like no other. And she landed oh on both, el- both wrists. And I thought her wrists were broken. And before she got up off the ground, she said, that's it. We're moving to Florida. (laughs) (laughs) So to this day, to this day, I thank her. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about that process then. So um, what did you guys have to do to kind of, you know, I guess, close up kind of what you were doing in, uh, in New England? And then what did you already have something going in Florida or did, did you have to go down there and start from scratch? Like, Tell me a bit, a little bit about that transition period. Well, a little bit of background was uh, we've traveled to Florida. Uh, Donna's parents uh, retired in the greater Orlando area. Um, and we had been on a visit. And to me, it wasn't any great shakes. But I happen to have a very close friend who was also involved in, in hockey. And he came down to play for the Florida Panthers. And he said, if we ever went to Florida, uh, consider the Bonita Springs, Naples area, which is the West Coast on the Gulf as opposed to going over to Miami or the East coast. Um, We came down and visited and just absolutely fell in love with this area. Uh, We had no contacts, nobody at all. Not uh, not, like I said, Donna's parents were, were up in the Orlando area. And if you know Florida at all, Naples is about three hours South of Orlando. Orlando is pretty much central Florida. And we're down on the Gulf coast uh, near Marco Island in that area. We had no other, uh, friends, no business arrangements, no contacts, basically starting from scratch. But we did put the uh, business up north on the market for sale and sold it, then sold our house. Uh, 
Our one son, Keith, stayed behind with the new owners for a transition period. Mm -hmm. uh, they asked for six months, but they really only needed them three months. Uh, so in the meantime, Doug, my youngest son, myself, and my wife came down and we had to get licensing in Florida. They're very big on getting a, a contractor license. I had to take some classes in order to do that. So I felt like a tiger that was locked in a cage. I couldn't get right into business. Had to do a lot of things in advance. Mm. So um, we did that. We got our licensing going in September of 2003. We were uh, we were in business. So tell me a little bit about how you guys went to market then again, because this is like starting all over again. Did you, I mean, obviously you, you already said you learned some things from where you started the first time in New England. Um Kind of were you? Do you find find that this this start was a little more successful because you had had so much uh, experience already from doing it before, or did you run into some of the same kind of obstacles? Uh, no, I had I had no contacts. I didn't know the TV people, newspaper people, anybody. Mm. But it made made me make those contacts, and it was very good actually. I did hire. I, I asked people. Um, that I had never met before. We had to get a banking relationship set up. And I really leaned on the banker there first to give me an idea of, you know, who would handle marketing, who would handle certain things. And I did get in touch with a very good uh, public relations marketing guy. And that's what got us started. And he made introductions for me for the school system and a few others. And once we got our feet grounded, we were off and running. Awesome. Well, and I know you have experienced a lot of success. You guys have gotten a lot of accolades in uh, publications and things like that for being uh, one of the top rated uh, shower door. Now, now tell me what's specifically, what's different about your guys's product, let's say from other, what sets you guys apart? Well, boy, there's a lot of things that sets us apart, but you really have to understand the, the business to know it. Um, first of all, a lot of shower door companies really aren't shower door companies. They're full service glass shops. Shower doors are only a portion of what they do. This, in this case, is all we do is mm -hmm. frameless shower doors and a heavy glass frameless shower doors at that, not the ones with the aluminum frame around it that builders put in for many, many years. Second is our, our hardware, our hinges, our handle, they're proprietary. Okay. So we're not competing against the everyday glass shops that are selling the same hardware that a national distributor would sell. So we've created our own branding. Um, then as the business has grown from 2003, we started our own manufacturing plant as well. So we're, we're cutting, fabricating, tempering the glass and installing it. So we have a better control of the end product. That was a case where we started to grow vertically, but it took us a good, uh, let me see, we opened in 2003 and we started manufacturing about 2012. So it, it took us a while to get to get up and running and uh, going and, and buying enough glass to justify making it ourselves. Yeah. What, what were some of the, so obviously those are some innovations that you guys have brought about. I mean, yep. desi designing your own, uh, you know, hinge and, um, and then manufacturing the glass yourself. Um, are there any other innovations you think that have kind of helped you guys see the type of success that you've experienced so far? Yeah, well, the way we do business, first of all, is a lot of uh, personal reaction. Uh, mm. Like I said, a lot of the glass shops, they didn't really market at all. They were really doing work for builders and then just waiting for the phone to ring for the average homeowner. 
And we created a whole marketing campaign. We did a lot of television, radio, newspaper, direct mail advertising, joined organizations like Home Builders, uh, Remodeling Council, uh, Interior Designer Organizations, Chamber of Commerce, stayed very active there. And then uh, just continually uh, promoted the product. Uh, back then, frameless shower doors were really only for the super rich people. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, with more and more people getting into the industry, uh, prices have come way down where it's a very, very affordable product. Yeah. And now you have, it says you have affiliate stores in other states and stuff like that. How does yeah. that work? Well, so when we started uh, our company, the goal was that we might want to be able to take this niche business and make it into a national franchise. So we've set it up that way. I mean, we have processes and procedures in place like all businesses should do, and we adjust it and modify it. So we wanted to test the waters to see if the business model would be successful in a market other than where the Dobbins had their hand on it on an everyday basis. Mm. Let's see if somebody else could take the business model and run with it. So we opened our first affiliate store. And I say affiliate because they don't go by the name My Shower Door, although we sell them all of our hardware and and all the parts. We just don't ship the glass to them because it's too expensive. But uh, we opened it up in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. You know, you would never expect that kind of an area, but it was an absolutely perfect beta test market. And since then, he's opened a second store. We've opened up in St. Paul and Minneapolis. There's two stores in Minnesota, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and York, Pennsylvania. And I got off the phone this morning with somebody in Phoenix that's interested. Wow. So our business model is something that can be scalable. Uh, like I said, we've got nine of our own stores within Florida and six affiliate stores. And every single city, the business model works. Yeah. What what when you say that Oklahoma City at the time was a was a perfect beta test area, um, like yeah. what was what were the I guess the variables that you were looking for that made it that? The variables was uh, was the business model written to a point where somebody could basically open the book and follow the model and make money. Hmm. Um, we did give them training. They, the owner of that particular location flew down to Florida and we took them out and showed them how to do measuring, glass ordering, inventory control, bookkeeping, sales. Uh, after you go out and you measure at a house, how to do your glass inductions and order all of your parts. We created a list of materials for him. So we, every style door that they have, he knew what his uh, material list would be. He knew what his cost would be, where his margins had to be. We've done that so many years, and that's sure. what the novice business owner really needs to know. That's one of the reasons they're intrigued with either a franchise or an affiliate store. Mm-hmm. The beauty of our affiliate store is they don't have to pay any royalties, zero. So it's like getting the benefits of a franchise without a franchise. We don't control him. It's under his own name. Um, so he can pretty much make his own decisions, and it doesn't affect us. We just become a very good provider of hardware for them, and we help them with marketing. We share photos of jobs because we're using the same hardware, and we gave them a template for our website and a lot of advice on how to grow the business. Yeah, so you're—I mean, basically, it sounds like the, from the plan all the way up, you're setting them up for success right out of the gate. Yeah, we are. Um, we are a very good friend of mine. I told you I was in the closet business years ago. Yeah. Uh, well, I ran across uh, a gentleman that 
started California Closets from scratch. It was his company. Uh, his name is Neil Balter. He now uh, resides in Scott, Scottsdale, Arizona. And I called him and I said, look, we're ready to go into the franchising mode. And he said, you really got to think about it. He said, I lost more friends doing that. Mm. I said, yeah, but you made an awful lot of money. He says, I did. But he says, what happens is people that get into the business, they don't know anything about it. That's why they buy into the franchise. Two years goes by. They don't want to pay royalties anymore. They figure they know everything. You've mm -hmm. taught them. They're making money. They get a little chip on their shoulder now. And now they're looking to cut back on expenses. And they don't want to pay royalties. So he said, the first two years were fun. I like seeing people grow and thrive and be successful. Then I'm chasing those same people for checks. Mm. And then they become my worst enemies. And I'm spending all my time getting legal fees, going after getting royalties. So see if you can't figure out a better way of doing it. And that's where we came up with the affiliate program instead. So the, so the way that you, as far as the profit that you see from that is they become basically, uh, or you become the source of, of everything that they're selling. So yes, they, well, there's two ways to, there's two profits. Number one, sure. they pay for the business plan. I gotcha. mean, I don't come out and give away our secrets for nothing. Sure, they pay sure. For that, and I give them a protected area saying, okay, I will not sell another affiliate in a 50 mile radius from where you are. And that business, you. the price of that is dependent upon the population in your area. Hmm. And I am going to guide it. I'm not going to sell somebody an area in, um, I don't know, just pick a city that's a very small city. If it doesn't have the right demographics and population, I don't want them to fail. So I don't want to spend a lot of time teaching somebody that if it's not the right city. So we want to pick the right city for them and make sure that the demographic is right and there's an, a market for the product. Right. So there's the, the cost of the business plan. And then for them, is there a markup then that they do uh, on the um, the materials or how does that work then for them? Yeah, we would become their supplier and it doesn't have to be their only supplier. They're, it's their business plan. They can buy from anybody they want, mm -hmm. but we feel with the proprietary hardware and the cost that they're getting it, it's still below getting a less uh less quality products somewhere else and to compete against all the other glass shops that are selling that nationally wholesale hardware. So yeah, there's a huge advantage. And unless you're an affiliate, you don't get that hardware. So wow. that was a good advantage for us. Now it's just another revenue stream. Yeah, no, it sounds like a great idea. I mean, it's definitely, uh, it sounds like an improvement over the franchise model if, if that's, uh, or at least from this perspective. Well, it sounds like from both perspectives, from the perspective of the person investing on their own and then yeah. for, from you, uh, you become a, a supplier. That's great. Yeah. Um, what's the future look like for my shower door and the Dobbin family? What do you guys, uh, what do you guys got coming down the pike? A uh, number of things. Well, first of all, I told you we started our own manufacturing plant and that's called D3 Glass. Last name is Dobbin. There's three of us, myself, my two sons. Um, we are investing in a, well, let me back it up. So shower doors are traditionally made with tempered safety glass. And in order to make tempered safety glass, you have to have a tempering furnace where you superheat the glass, then cool it down rapidly. And that becomes a safety glass, which is what's required for frameless shower doors. Mm -hmm. um, so we've built this whole business over all these years on selling uh, tempered glass, which is predominantly used interiors in homes. The machinery we're investing in and they've already started installing will allow us to more than double our business by going into uh, outside glass or exterior. 
So we'll be able to make impact glass, like for windows, doors, uh, glass railings, and high rises. You know, you have some of those beautiful condos out on the Gulf and you're looking at that Gulf. I don't think you want to see metal <laughs> railings. You'd sure. like to see nice glass. Wow. And then with this machinery, we'll be able to do uh, decorative glass, bulletproof or what they call ballistic glass, which now all schools and public buildings are going to be required to have that. Mm. And there is nobody in this area of Florida that that has that machinery that can make that type of glass. So we're positioning ourselves there. And then for my shower door, we're positioning ourselves to continue growing throughout Florida and open up more company-owned stores. And then anybody else around the country that's interested in our affiliate program, they can take a nice vacation down here to <laughs> Fort Myers, Florida, go on the beach, uh, come and learn the business, and then open up an affiliate store somewhere in the country. Yeah. And uh, so before we go, I want to make sure that people do have a chance uh, to find you. Where, where can they find you on the, on the web as far as your website and other contact information? Jeff, if I didn't tell you, you'd probably guess, right? So it's <laughs> myshowerdoor.com. Yep. It's pretty easy. My name is Bill. If you need to email me, it's bill at myshowerdoor.com. That's pretty easy. But you'll find us on every social media platform, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh, LinkedIn, especially Instagram, Pinterest, you name it, we're out there. Uh, we're all about promotion and, and growing this business and awareness. I just finished doing a 20-minute video on things that you should know about frameless shower doors between hiring licensed contractors, getting good quality tempered safety glass for your own safety. That's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. If I, and if I may ask, uh, how is your son doing now that... Uh, very well. Very well. He's 44. If you follow him on LinkedIn, I'm going to suggest you do look up Keith Dobbin, K-E-I-T-H. Right. Follow him on LinkedIn. He's got like 22,000 followers and he <laughs> posts every single day. Um, he lives life to the fullest now. He knows he's got a second chance at it. Yeah. I call him unfiltered, but Keith gets, everybody gets to know Keith by his first name. He doesn't need a last name. He's kind of like Beyonce. You mentioned Keith, you know who you're talking about. Awesome. Well, that's wonderful to hear. And uh, thank you so much for spending the time on the show and telling us your story and sharing your expertise with us. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to another episode of What Makes Them Tip, innovations that change everything. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to our show, What Makes Them Tip, Innovations That Changed Everything. If you're an entrepreneurial leader and you'd like to share the inspiration that changed everything in your business or venture, please visit arcalea.com slash guest and a small request. If you've liked this interview, please help us out by sharing this episode with a friend or on social with the hashtag Arcalea. You can also help us out right now by providing a review in your podcast player and a thumbs up or rating review would help a ton. We promise to read every word and it helps us improve a little bit each day. And while you're at it, please also subscribe because every week you're going to be inspired and learn from other leaders in bite-sized increments. Again, my name is Mike Strada. Let's connect either on social or stay up to date on all things business at arcalea.com. Thanks again for listening and thank you for being part of the over 99% of America's firms that make up the entrepreneurial community. Until next time.